My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Uh, and before you ask, it's not coffee. Uh, I'm not allowed to teach God's Word after drinking coffee. Um, I, it's, not, it's not a good thing. It's, we'll just leave it at that. Um, none of the fruits of the Spirit occur. So there's just that. <laughs> Uh, but we are in uh, Philippians chapter 2, so uh, welcome to those of you online as well. I uh, appreciate y'all joining us. Uh, if you would, comment pretty quick and let me know if the audio is good uh, and the video is working appropriately. Uh, I've got everything, everything worked normally this morning, so uh, from the depths of bleh, last week to it's a Christmas miracle, uh, that's where we are today, so thanks for y'all's patience in that. But uh, I'm going to read through Philippians chapter 2, uh, and then we will pick up in a few minutes, Lord willing, with verse 7, uh, which is a hard turn from where we left off last week. So, Philippians chapter 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are, like a fa who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. 
I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Philippians chapter 2. So we're starting on page 124 of our green book today. You got your green book, uh, and that's at OurSundaySchool.com as well, if you're online and you need a copy of that. So on page uh, 124, uh, let's take a look at specifically today's text. So we just finished up with this uh, text, Adopt the Same Attitude as That of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God. So we're going one direction. We're going a very divine direction, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. And then we come the opposite direction here. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. When he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death. And I mentioned it last week, and we'll probably spend quite a bit of time today talking about the curse word right there, death on a cross. So uh, let's go to the next slide, Dave. And uh, so verse 7, so instead we see this massive shift coming back the other way. He emptied. So who's the he here? This is our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And what kind of verb is that? So it's an aorist, indicative, it's an active verb, right? So this is something that the subject is actively doing. So this is not the Father emptied the Son. This is not the Spirit emptied the Son. This is the Son emptied the Son. This makes sense? So this was, this was a volitional choice for God the Son to empty himself. And this is one of the texts that you can go to if you have a conversation with someone who would deny the Trinitarian nature of our God, the three-person, one-God concept, uh, where you see Christ has a will that he is exerting through his personal decisions and actions. Now, is that will subject to the Father's will? Absolutely. But it is... A choice that the son made to empty himself. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lean into several of these active verbs today. Uh, so that'll be the, the first one today. So it said he emptied himself. So then we go to page 125. <clears throat> and if you look at the the red letters on page 125, uh, what I want you to notice is that by assuming and the don't have any brackets after them. Right? So all that's added to help clarify the Greek words, which are really just uh, morphe doulos. So, uh, instead, 
he emptied himself form servant which if you just have a wooden stiff you're like uh i i need a little more to smooth this out to make it make sense in english and most of the translations will have something along the lines of uh, by assuming the form of uh, now what is that from if you if you zoom out just a little bit and take last week's text verses five and six and compare them to verse seven what kind of a comparison or contrast is happening with the form of a servant as compared to or contrasted to what is happening in 5 and 6? Pretend you're in high school English class. Like what's happening here? It's complete opposites, right? What's the form that's described in 5 and 6? Yeah, he, like he's in the form of God, right? And why is he in the form of God? Because he is God. That's exactly right. That was the, the one of the big conclusions from last week. So, and I don't want to say but, I want to say and, he's also in the form of a servant. So what does that mean? He's also a, a man, right? Yeah. So we see the dual nature of Christ here, and, and even... And, and it, it, in my mind, it's almost like, you know, because if you, let me back up for a second. If you want a really difficult homework assignment, diagram verses 5 through 11. Whoa. <laughs> it is nested examples and references, but I mean, it's unbelievably complex sentence structure. Um, but yeah, he's... He's going the exact opposite way here for what you would think God would be like, right? And this is one of the great things about Jesus is that you, we didn't get what we expected. We got so much more and so much exactly what we need, right? So application number one down at the bottom is our king became a servant, Do we have any examples of this in the New Testament where Jesus was serving others, where he, he was actively serving others? Like what, what, there's, I think there's quite a few, so just start washing the feet. There you go. So what, what, specifically, what specifically did he do that gave him the form so that if you visibly looked at it, what was the form that he took on to give everybody the signal, the visible signal, I'm taking on the form of a servant. He wrapped a towel around himself, right? Right. And he knelt. Exactly right. Because that's not what rabbis did. Rabbis had very special clothing that they wore that was unlike anybody else in the community. And rabbis didn't kneel. Rabbis sat when they taught and everybody else stood, but it wasn't kneeling when they taught. So you've got a rabbi kneeling with a towel. I mean, whoa, whoa, you are breaking all the visible norms of, society, of their society at that time because he's sending a message, right? These are not accidental. It, it wasn't Jesus looked back a couple of days later and we're like, oh, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah, I, no, 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 This is all intentional, right? <laughs> Sorry, and, as close as I could come. What, what else? What other examples do we have of, of Christ serving? 
could have let Peter drown, right? That would have been a weird end to that story. <laughs> the Samaritan woman, the way he spoke to her, okay? But specifically, like, how did he... Uh, are, there, are there any examples of him doing things that provided for others? Water into wine, right? Feeding the 5,000 and feeding the... 4,000, that one always gets overlooked. It's like, you know, he did, he, had, he did that twice, right? And the disciples were surprised both times. <laughs> and I don't, uh, yeah, sorry. It just reminds me how often I get surprised when I see the, virtually the exact same thing occur. I'm like, has this ever happened before? And Julie's like, like a week ago. <laughs> cool, that's awesome. Okay. So we have plenty of opportunity to see in the life of Christ he actually lived out this looking like a servant. So this would have been written a couple of decades after Jesus died. The stories about Jesus were rampant through this area. They knew who he was. They, 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 they had the apostles that they could go talk to. And so like, how, what was that day like? That was amazing. Here you go. So they would have been sharing these stories. So this wouldn't have come as a surprise to the Philippian believers. But Paul still sets up the contrast because he wants us to see, he wants them and us to see the significant shift that Jesus took here to do what he did. So you assume the form of a servant uh, taking. So what kind of verb is that? You see the active there, another active verb. So he, this is self-decided action. He decided to take. And he, he took the, the likeness or the form. This is not the same uh, word used as form earlier in 2.7. This is a different word for form. And this is one of the challenges of doing uh, Bible study in any language. When we typically, so the way I was taught a lot to do Bible study was you find a word you go to Strong's Concordance, you find wherever that word shows up in the English copy of the Bible, and then you, you look at how all those verses fit together to describe this concept. And that's fine. It's, it's, not, it's extremely limiting, but uh, words have synonyms. So what about all the synonyms for that word? Like, okay. What about words that have semantic overlap, where this word means about 80% of what this word means, but there's some dis distinctions too? Well, we have that in English. The exact same thing happens in Greek. So the word earlier for assuming the form was morphe, which you can kind of see you would morph from changing from one to another concept. The likeness is homo... Uh, I don't know how to say that. I didn't practice that one. So, do you see the first four letters of the word? H-O-M-O? -O? Does that mean same or different? Same. So, there's a likeness there, right? Oh, the uh, ioma, is, that's an image. There we go. Sorry. That took a minute. Um, so, you can have different Greek words that have semantic overlap, which is one of the reasons... I'm going to say this through gritted teeth, that you'll never be able to run a computer program to find all of the ways that words and their meanings overlap and are consistent throughout the entire text. Um, 
So bring it, chat GPT. All right, so taking on the likeness, so the, the image, the form of humanity. So we've just saw in verses 5 and 6 the form of God, so now we're firmly in the place of the form of humanity. So another application on page 125, I would say, is that forms matter. Forms matter. And I don't mean the you fill out the, and you should do this properly, don't cheat on your taxes, but I'm not talking about like tax forms. I'm talking about shapes and images and the way in which we present to send messages. Because Jesus was a sent message from God and by doing it in the form of humanity, like that sent a signal. That was a really big indicator. So, uh, so forms matter. So what do we do with that? I would say place faith in the one with two forms. Spoiler alert, there's only one person that fulfills that. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yep, yep, he's absolutely always God. Um, so the, the two forms here are the form of God. This is the deity. And unless we have a savior who is divine, we don't have an eternal sacrifice once for all, right? And the form of man, the humanity, unless we have a human substitution, he doesn't actually reflect our need for a substitute to die on our behalf. So you have to go through history and find a divine human substitute. There is one and only one solution to that problem, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, what a savior what a savior so uh, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity and then page 126 uh, and so somewhere Sean McGarvey is saying but wait there's more and he doesn't know why uh, when he had come and then you've got the word genomai. This is to be or uh, was or existed. Uh, and then there's a couple of Greek words that are actually not translated in English. Uh, there's the word uh, schema, which means a figure. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.31 actually translates it as form. So there's another form embedded in there. And then you've got herisco, which is the basis for our English word heuristics, which is like... Uh, in computer language, it's search criteria and how do you go seek and find things. So you could translate this uh, if you wanted to be really uh, stiff. When he had come and was found in the form as a man. Uh, but this is one of those rare instances where I don't know that the actual literal translation in Greek helps clarify anything other than this bit of an abbreviated translation. Um, the CSB does this a lot, and it has its pros and it has its cons. Um, the, the hard and fast rule follower in me wants them to translate every word, and the, please, for the love of all that's holy, make it easy to read, wants me to smooth it out, and they seem to change a little bit from certain books to other books. And this is what you get with English translations, because... The same person who translated Philippians didn't translate Leviticus. Uh, 
right? Like there was a group of people that did this book, and there was a group of people that did this book, and then there's a group of people that sat on top for the different types of literature, and then there was another group that sat on top for the types of the testaments, and then there was another group that sat on top for smoothing out the entire book. So what you get with all of that is a, 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 uh, a similarity across the whole thing, which is kind of what you need in an English translation. So all that to say, I think it's actually a pretty good translation. Would it be what I had done? Probably not, but nobody's asking me to write a translation. So there's that. All right, so when he had come as a man, and then there's this super awkward verse break at verse 8, right? Because it's just really wonky um, because there's a period before the word and I had to put the verse break before the and and made the sin you know what I'm saying like put the sentences together here you go all right so when he had come as a man he humbled so what kind of verb is that it's an active verb there we go now Strong's definition here the first one has to depress don't think this means depression. Those are not the same kind of thing. This is to, to push downward, to move downward. Um, Philippians 4.12 is another translation of this word. And I want you to actually flip over to Philippians 4.12. If you got your Bibles, I want, I want you to, you may need to see this to, to really see how tricky this is to translate. Because I want you to look for the word humbled in the CSB's translation of Philippians 4.12. So Philippians 4.12. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. Where was humbled? <laughs> That's right. Yep. I know how to make do with little is how the CSB translates humbled in the first part of 412. So this is actually a word that has a pretty wide semantic range, even though we just see a couple here uh, that are listed. So to depress, to humiliate in condition or in heart. Uh, so it's, it, this is the idea of coming low so if we think about the immediate context of what jesus is doing from coming from heaven to earth does it make sense that you would use the word humble because there is a loneliness of his physical location at that time it's a really neat way to describe the process of christ coming to earth as he humbled himself so this is again he actively made this decision and then did the action as, as well so he humbled himself by becoming obedient. So lots of stuff going on on this page. Uh, so three applications here. Um, our Lord Jesus Christ came as a man. So let's not miss that. Right? He came as a man. Our Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself. So he came as a man. He humbled himself. And our Lord Jesus Christ obeyed. And I still can't get it out of my head that if I had all power, and if I, by the 
the word, the, the power of my word, we're holding the entire universe together, I am significantly tempted to use that to my advantage. Uh, probably in more than one location at once even, just to see if I could, and I could. Uh, and to, to think that what Christ does with all power is come as a man, humbling himself, and obeying. So my, my personalization for this is the same for all three. Rejoice, our Lord Jesus Christ is who we cannot be. Is there a sense in which we should humble ourselves? Sure. Is there a sense in which we should be obedient? Sure. But Paul is reveling in who Jesus Christ is. I think our applications, our personalizations on this might just be, let's revel along with him. Right? Let's not get stuck in the, yeah, but what do I do about that? It's like, eh, rejoice for right now. It's okay. All right, so page 8, so, so, uh, verse 8. So he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of or up to uh, this is the same word that Paul uses to describe what happened to Epaphroditus because he came close to death. So he's like, he's right up to it. And then he goes one step further, even to death on a cross. So let's, let's, let's get the application and the personalization out of the way. So our Lord Jesus Christ died on a cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ died on a cross. So what do we do with that? Rejoice, because our Lord Jesus Christ is who we cannot be. The crazy thing is, I could die on a cross for my sin, and that would not pay the debt. Like That's not enough. Right? Because I'm not a worthy sacrifice to pay my debt. So what's the big deal about a cross? And Jim, why did you whisper it last week when you read the text and you whispered it this week when you read the text? Well, you kind of got to go back a ways. So let's go to Deuteronomy 21. I think I've got it on the screen for you here. So Deuteronomy 21. And would Paul have been familiar with the Old Testament text? Yes. He's got this memorized, guys. So if anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed and you hang his body on a tree. Now, did they say crucifixion right here? No, but hanging on a tree is hanging on a tree. And Paul is going to use this kind of language elsewhere in his New Testament writings and equivocate the two between the cross and hanging on a tree. So who in the Old Testament hung on a tree and died? Is it very, say it again. A sinner. a sinner. Yes, he was a sinner. There's one specific character I've got in mind. Yes, yes. By his what? His hair. He had like big hair, you know. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> a billion jokes you could make right here. It's super sad. He gets hung up in the tree in his hair, and he dies, right? 
It's not good. It's Absalom who actually dies like this. So, and you hang his body on a tree. You are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but to bury him that day. Does this, does this bury him that day give you any, like, oh, that's why some folks acted quickly when Jesus died. Like, they're still looking back at this. For anyone hung on a tree, not anyone who dies, not anyone who is left there overnight, but the process of hanging on a tree itself is under God's curse. You must not, now he's going to go back to the tree, you must not defile the land and the Lord your God, that the, the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Like this is how to pollute the land is to leave a body hanging on a tree overnight. You don't do that. All right. So this, and if you might be thinking like, what's the big deal about that? I don't know. But I do know everything in the Old Testament points forward to Christ, the person in work. So it is very likely that this law is in existence because God knew how Jesus was going to die. And Paul needed to make the argument a little later on, not yet. He needs to make the argument a little later on to connect all of these dots. But you don't get hung on a tree. So for a Jew to be sentenced to crucifixion was not good. Right, so I want you to have the Jewish view of it first. So now we're going to shift over. So let's go to the next slide, Dave. I'm going to teach you a little bit of Latin. So this is the Latin phrase, uh, arbori infelici suspendido. Arbori infelici suspendito. This is what a judge would have said on the penalty of death, as opposed to saying the word out loud because you didn't say cross in polite company all right so what i want you to do is i want you to put yourself in the place of a middle school boy are there words that middle school boys say that are not appropriate for polite adult society you're like yes there absolutely are cross was sort of kind of a mix between that and you don't even want to say it because then you're associated with it. So when a judge would condemn a prisoner to be hung on a cross, this is the translation. Hang him on the unlucky tree. And if you're like, the understatement of the universe is calling a cross the unlucky tree, right? I mean, this is just, so arbori is the tree, and felici is the unlucky, and suspendido, you see it now, right? is suspend him on the unlucky tree. So this is how it would have been referenced. Like you, you don't say this word in polite company. And then Paul goes on later to say, I glory in the cross of Christ. You're like, whoa, 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 buddy. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you, like, you, <laughs> you're leaning into what Christ did that was cursed in Deuteronomy? and shameful in polite society? He's like, oh yeah, absolutely. And he'll go even further than that. Because the intent, you, know, you guys know what this word means? Cruciform? What does this word mean? Not crucified. It means cross-shaped. And I like this word because of the form. 
Because this is what we've been talking about in verses 7 and 8, is the shape of Jesus. And I will tell you that the Christian life is cross-shaped. It's shaped because we are in the shadow of the cross. It's because we are covered by what happened in the cross. It's because we are carrying our own cross like our Savior did. So when we get to thinking, I'm talking to myself here, when I get to thinking that my life should be easy, no, it actually shouldn't. It's cross-shaped. The Christian life is cross-shaped. And it, you know, you're not going to hear this on, uh, a lot of, from a lot of pulpits because this doesn't sell a lot of books, <laughs> right? Uh, but the Christian life is cross-shaped. So here's what Paul says later on in Galatians about this, this idea of what Jesus did for us. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law because all we get out of the law is the curse, like we are guilty, it's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to recognize our need of what we cannot do and what Christ did. And Christ became a curse for us. How do you not love him? I mean, I... <laughs> because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. See, Paul connects these two concepts, right? Now, if you really want me to mess with your head, where do trees first show up in the Bible? In the garden, right? Any specific trees show up in the garden? Tree of knowledge and good and evil, right? Good. Does that tree show up anywhere else in the Bible? It does, Yes. You guys have heard me talk about uh, chiasms, right? So you have some concept, and you walk your way in, and then you walk your way out, and the corresponding pieces have similar meaning, and at the center is the focal point of the chiasm. All right. I believe this to be true about the whole book. You start with a tree in a garden. You end with a tree in a garden. And the whole book turns from what happens with the God-man on a tree. It's kind of a cool structure. So let's finish this morning with Revelation 22. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 5. Yes, sir. Staros? The, um, sorry, I'm using my acronym right now. My world history is failing me now. The Ninevites learned from the Assyrians who taught the Romans. And the Assyrians spiked people. So they would have a very, basically just a pole with very sharp point, and then they would jab somebody down that so that the center of the sharp point would go up through the center of the human being, and you were suspended uh, upright until you died. 
The problem with that is it destroys your internal organs and you bleed out and you die very quickly. Um, the, I want to say the people who followed the Assyrians figured out if you could, you, could, you could spike somebody not as far up into their body just to be very painful and then tie them down, but you still died quickly. The Romans perfected it, though, because they put the little footstool at the bottom where you could push off of to breathe, and it prolonged death over a series of days. Um, does that answer that question? Oh, I, I would say that's just a very basic misunderstanding of the text because that's not what that is. Um, so the word cross does have the semantic range to say a, a stake or a post, but there's if, if you deny the cross shape, death of Christ, you are denying multiple data points in the Gospels that describe the cross itself. And you would also have to deny the, a massive amount of historical and archaeological information that has been found that would validate how prisoners actually were executed at that time. Um, you'd also have to invalidate all the eyewitnesses that then went on to later testify and die because of that testimony. Um, I actually can't think of a dumber thing to deny than that. Like that, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, that's just a bad approach. Um, theologically, grammatically, semantically, historically, yeah, you're, you're really stretching there. Um, yeah, I would just say, look at the book, you know, that's not going to go well. Um, wow, that's really sad, though. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's right. That's a, uh, there you go. That's a good spot to land on that conversation. That's a good spot to land, yeah. Absolutely. All right, so let me read uh, Revelation 22 real quick. So then he, uh, then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, I don't know the flannel graph version of what I had in my head about how big this tree was, but it's on either side of a river, so this is not something that was planted yesterday, right? I mean, this is, it's a big city, okay? So a 1,500-mile cube is a big city. You've got room for a lot of things. So the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. It wasn't an accident when God made trees. He knew exactly what he was going to do with them. We learn in John chapter 1 that there wasn't anything that was made it didn't involve the Son of God participating in the creative exercise. So when Christ made trees, he knew what he was making them for. They all pointed to him. 
I mean, can you imagine? I'm going to create the thing that is going to be used to kill me. Rejoice. Our Lord Jesus Christ is who we cannot be. And I am glad. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And I say amen and amen. Trees. Who knew, right? And now the word cross is no longer a dirty word, but a word that we rejoice in and celebrate in and boast in because of what our God did for us. What a Savior. What a Savior. All right, guys. So next week, Lord willing, we'll start with, uh, I almost said revelation. And I like, terrified myself there for a second. <laughs> One of these days when I grow up, I'll get brave enough to do that, but uh, it is not today. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 9, uh, and then uh, you should have your weekly update at your table, so make sure your names are there. Uh, those of you watching along with us, thank you for hanging with us. Uh, please jot down any prayer requests you've got on the sheet or in the comments. That'd be great. Uh, quick announcement, two weeks from today, uh, no Sunday school. My family and I will be traveling so it's on the calendar. Just be aware. I'll make some posts on socials as well. But uh, no Sunday school on February 19th. And uh, with that, we are free to go and to worship the one who did all of this. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.